For many weeks, our churches have been unable to have physical gatherings. But by God's mercy, the Church of Jesus Christ continues. The Southern Baptist Convention continues. For 175 years, we have pressed forward together through wars, disasters, plagues, economic downturns, and political upheavals. Our effort of proclaiming Christ around the world has never stopped. Your support, your prayers, your gifts, all of us working together as the body of Christ have kept our missionaries on the field over the decades and keeps them there now. God is at work around the world in the most amazing ways, and He is using you, your family, and your church to help your missionaries, our missionaries, as they move forward with the gospel. The Derbyshires partner with churches in the United States to lead mobile clinics all over Thailand using medicine as a means to share the gospel with those who have no other access. Christ is proclaimed, disciples are made, and churches are planted. In Kenya, IMB missionary Kristen Lowry believes the very best place for a child is in a family. That is why she is working alongside National Kenyan Partners to rescue boys living on the streets, restore their lives, provide shelter, a trade, physical and spiritual nourishment, and reunite them with their families. The Worthy family has recognized the importance of investing in relationships and in Italian culture, which is why they have planted their lives in Italy for the past 17 years. College students, have dropped the term hard places from their vocabulary and are responding to go anywhere in the world where people don't have access to the gospel. We treasure Jesus and his gospel above all. But let us remember, we are not called to hoard the gospel, but to herald it far and wide. We are not called to stockpile the gospel, but to send it forth to those yet in darkness that they may see the light of Jesus Christ and live. I love his last words where he says, we're not called to hoard the gospel, but herald it far and wide. We're not called to stockpile the gospel, but send it forth to those yet in darkness that they may see the light of Jesus Christ and live. There is always a theme and a picture of light as we come to the Christmas season. People decorate with light, and there is the shining of light. There's the picture of why they do all and share all of the light, because we know that the light of the world is Jesus. And one of the early people to recognize that was an older gentleman in the temple as Mary and Joseph brought their week old 
baby. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Luke chapter 2. And I want us to think about being thankful for a light in our darkness. Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up reading in verse number 25. Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And with that, let's pray. God, I do ask that you would speak to us. And Lord, help us to receive the light if we need it. And Lord, for those who have received it, help us to share it. May we just have our hearts and and minds just be drawn in a sense of wonder and awe as we look at this encounter in the temple today. In your name, amen. I, I love what Simeon, and, and he breaks out into a psalm or a, a blessing to God as he says, wow, this baby, he is a light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He calls him a light. And yet light, as we think about it, is used all throughout the Scripture. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, we know in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and, and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And then in Genesis chapter 1, in verse number 3, God said, "'Let there be light.'" And there was light. Then you slide down to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 16. And it tells us that God made two lights. The greater light to light the day. That's our sun. And the lesser light to give light at night. Now as you think about the light of the sun, I I just thought about that this week and, and thought, man, the sun is amazing. God's creation and placement of the sun, I mean, just brings us to a place of, of awe. When you think about the, the, the diameter of the sun, if you would look at the diameter around the center of the sun, it would take 109 Earth-sized planets to go around the diameter of the sun. When you think about the volume of the sun, it's a staggering, you could fit a staggering 1.3 million Earth-sized planets into the volume of the the sun, and it would contain it. As we think about the weight of the sun, it would take over, if you put them on an old-fashioned scale and you put the sun on one side, it would take over 332,400 earth-sized planets to bring that scale up to a point where it would be 
equal. And yet the sun is perfectly placed 93 million miles away to give us just the right amount of heat and light that we need to survive on our planet. But if you got on a train and traveled a hundred miles per hour, it would take you over a hundred years to get to the sun. If you, by some weird fascination, wanted to go and be the first man or woman on the sun, and you were to stand on the sun, and you were to yell, my feet are hot, it would take 14 years for sound waves to hit the earth. 14 years for you to yell and for the sound waves to make it all the way to the earth. Yet, traveling at the speed of light, it takes 8 minutes and 20 seconds for that sun's light to hit the earth. God did a remarkable work when he gave us the S-U-N sun. But, as awesome and wonderful as the sun is... When we think about God's Son, the Lord Jesus, we are really brought to a place of awe. If you thought the S-U-N was impressive, let's think about God's Son. You walk and take your Bibles, if you if you desire, and look in John chapter 1. You're in the Gospel of Luke, so you're just one, uh, just finish up Gospel of Luke and jump right into John. Next book. <clears throat> it says, in the beginning was the Word The Word is the pre-incarnate name of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Here in John chapter 1, we see the awesomeness of the second person of the Trinity, the God's, uh, of the Godhead, God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that He is fully God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is fully God. Matter of fact, Jesus was there as an agent of creation. It tells us in verse number 3, John 1, 3, that all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. So Jesus is absolutely eternal, God, the agent of creation. And then it tells us that in him was life and the life that Jesus lived was the light to men. So what we find in Luke chapter 2 is this awesome moment in history where God's Son, the true light of the world, steps into humanity. Fully God, fully man. You thought the S-U-N was impressive. Look and take a glimpse at God's Son. Fully God, fully man. God in the flesh, he took on eyes and elbows, knees and, and, and big toes. I mean, God is in the flesh. And Simeon is one of the first to pick it out. Mary and Joseph have their baby. He's 
uh, not just, just just a few days old, and they come and they bring a sacrifice for Mary's purification and for uh, the the recognition of this baby. Uh, just a couple of verses, verse twenty two and following, tell us. And then, as they walk into the temple, there's Simeon, this older man who has been promised that he would see the Messiah takes this baby up into his arms. And he says, God, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I want us to think this morning about Simeon, and I want us to think a little bit, just kind of get some pictures of of his life and think about how this actually applies in our life today. There's some challenges as, as we think about Simeon and, and, and they kind of can parallel our life as well. The first picture that we see in Simeon is that he is seeking the light. He's seeking the light. He's, he's looking. He has been promised. Notice what it says in, in the scripture. He has been promised that before he dies, he is going to see the Messiah. Notice verse 26. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would see uh, he, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, he's been promised this. We don't know how long he had this promise. We don't know if the promise was made a week ago, a month ago, or years ago. But he is waiting for this promise. He's waiting. He's waiting. I imagine he goes to the temple, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. See, there's the challenge of his life, and 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 that is the the challenge of, of waiting, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for this light to be revealed. Again, we don't know. He, the, the challenge of waiting in faith. You know, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to wait. <laughs> I mean, we we want to be busy. We want to be active. We want to be doing. And yet he has no control over this. He just has to wait, wait. On the Lord. Just the very thought of having to wait on the Lord sometimes brings a sense of anxiety. You mean I just can't do, I can't go, I can't control? And we see God has a very different perspective of time than we do. So as I have just kind of uh, visited around and, and with kids uh, over the last few weeks, and then as I just remember my own childhood, I mean, when, when I was a kid, school would start and it would seem like forever until Christmas. I mean, the days would drag, the weeks would drag, then it would be finally Thanksgiving. And then from Thanksgiving to Christmas seemed like it was really, really, really long time. The perspective of a child, why? They want Christmas to get here. They want presents. Then you become an adult and you think, dude, I can't believe it's Christmas already. I cannot, man, where has the time gone? This has gone so fast. Where, where has this year gone? Man, we've been in the pandemic this year, but it seems like it has gone so fast. Now, when we understand time from a child versus adult, we kind of maybe get a little glimpse of, of, of the perspective of God because he is going to dwell far beyond us in the realm of time. Remember, Second Peter chapter 3 tells us that as the Lord looks at it, you know, a day could be as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day now. Uh, we would think a thousand years would really, really be a long time. But when you're eternal and you've been here from all eternity past and you're going to be here to all eternity future, then a thousand years doesn't seem that long anymore from school year to Christmas. Seems like it goes pretty quick for adults, but it seems to really drag for children. Waiting in faith. 
we're waiting in faith too. We're waiting in faith for Jesus to come again. For 2,000 years, we've been waiting, waiting. I really wish the Lord would have come like June or July so we could have just skipped this whole last political season. You know, I didn't have to watch the commercials, have to, to go through all this stuff. Why hasn't he come yet? Why hasn't the Lord come yet? You pray, Lord, come, man. It's Look at the world around us. Look how horrific things are around us. Lord, why haven't you come? Let me tell you why he hasn't come. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as men count slackness. He's not going to falter on his promises. But he's long-suffering to us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you know why Jesus hasn't come yet? Because there's another little boy or little girl. There's another student. There's another adult, a man or a woman, who needs to know Jesus as their Savior before it's too late. You know why Jesus hasn't come yet? It's not because of of just all the horrific things around us. It's because there's that one. And I believe there's going to be a day when that little, that last little boy or girl bends their knee and bows their head, or that last student lifts their, their head and says, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. And I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again, come into my life. Or it'll be that, that moment that, a, that an adult is finally broken as the, the guilt that they have looked at in their life and the shame that they have felt is lifted from their life as they take their sins to the cross and say, Lord, forgive me for all the things I've done wrong. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again. And Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my life and make me new. And when that happens, I believe there will be that last one and then the Lord will come. But I want to tell you right now, you need to wait and wait in faith. But not only waiting in faith, but walking in faith. Notice with us in verse number 25, the picture of Simeon. It tells us that Simeon was a just and devout man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah to come. Now, there's two words that are used there that, that, are, that stand out to us. First off, he was a just man. That deals with his relationship with others. That's the horizontal plane of living a righteous life, living with integrity, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, showing kindness and goodness and patience to others. He was a man who was just. He treated other people in a way that was honoring, and honoring most of all to God. But it says not only was he a just man, but he was a devout man. And the word devout gives a picture of his vertical relationship with God, that he had a genuine walk with God, that he was careful to live his life in a way in which he knew God was watching him and he was waiting for Jesus to come. And so he was careful for his life. He was mindful of spiritual things. He was prayerful and he was thankful and he had his eyes on the coming of Jesus. Do you know, as you look in the New Testament in particular, about passages that deal with the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. You know what you find around these awesome and wonderful passages? A call to holiness, a call to be ready, 
You look at it. Probably one of the most famous passages of Jesus coming in the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and following. But notice how the beginning of that chapter starts. He says that it is God's will that you are sanctified. You can look at section after section that deals with the second coming or the coming of Jesus. And as we have our eyes on his coming, we want to live a devout life so that we're ready for his coming. We see Simeon seeking the light. He's waiting in faith, but he's not just waiting in faith. He's walking in faith. And let me tell you that we need to be people who wait in faith and walk in faith. That the world needs to see our light shine brighter as the darkness grows increasingly prevalent in the world in which we live. And instead of saying, oh, how close can I get to the edge and live like the world and still call myself a Christian... That, that, that's often the theme today is how close can I get to the world and still be considered a Christian? And the picture is, is we need to be saying how devout and righteous and holy a life can I live before the people in the world? It's walking in faith. It's waiting in faith. But not only do we see Simeon seeking the light, then we see him seeing the light. N- notice what happens. He goes into the temple and it tells us that he has been led by the Holy Spirit as he went in. Verse number 27. He came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. He saw Jesus seeing the light. The light was revealed. The light was revealed to him. Jesus, the light of the world, had been revealed. Now, we don't know how this happened. It would be interesting to find out how this light was revealed. How was Jesus revealed to Simeon on this occasion? Did the Holy Spirit just prompt him and say, this is the one? Did he hear a voice from God? Was there something in particular uh, about Jesus as they carried him in that made them think, wow, uh, that made him think, wow, I know that this is the one that I've been searching for. This is the answer to prayer. The light of the world has been revealed to me. You know, what's interesting as you look throughout Scripture that when God wanted to do his greatest work of deliverance in the Old Testament and his greatest act of deliverance in the New Testament, you know what he did? On both occasions, he sent a baby. Exodus chapter 1, the children of Israel are in Egypt, and they're crying out because of the oppressive Egyptians. And they cry out. And what does God do in Exodus chapter 2? He sends a baby. His name is Moses. And Moses becomes that great deliverer who leads them to a place of salvation, leads them up to the promised land. In the New Testament, he sends his own son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to not only change our geography, but to change our spiritual destiny and eternity. I don't know if you follow the news, but you know when the pandemic broke and everybody was staying home, they told us uh, originally that there was going to be another baby boom. Did you hear this? I mean, these are the kind of things that we heard. Everybody's staying home. There's going to be another baby boom. Did you know really? in 2021, that they are predicting that there will be a half million less babies born this next year because of the pandemic. People are afraid to get pregnant. They're afraid to bring a baby into this world. And yet, what do we find with the example of God? That when life was at its bleakest and most challenging, he sent a baby. 
And this baby would be the one who would deliver. The light of the world is revealed. He sees Jesus and he takes him up in his arms so that the light of the world is not only revealed, but the light of the world is received. He takes this baby up in his arms and says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. He receives Jesus because, you know, as you look at Simeon, though he was a just man and a devout man, he was not a perfect man. He needed a savior as well. So it wasn't just their hope. It was his hope. It wasn't just their need for salvation. It was his need for salvation. And the truth is, is we can look around the world today and say, boy, they really need Jesus. They really need Jesus. Can I tell you? You really need Jesus. You really need Jesus. The light of the world has come. Why is it that so often, instead of being received, he's resisted? Why is it so often that instead of Jesus being embraced, he's rejected? Well, John 3 tells us why. Again, if you're in the Gospel of Luke, you just go over one chapter because you know John 3.16, but, but it goes on to, to give some, some great understanding into the truth about light and darkness. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him uh, might be saved. He goes on in verse number 18, uh, he that has the, uh, he who believes in him is, is not condemned, but he that does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the only begotten uh, son of God. And then verse number 19, And this is the condemnation, or this is the verdict. This is the judgment. He says that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they may be done in God. What's the picture? Light not only revealed who Jesus is, but light reveals who we are. And the truth of the matter is, is sometimes when that light shines back on us, we don't like it. We resist it. And and he goes on in, in this passage and said, this is the condemnation. And here's the picture, that men loved darkness rather than light. So instead of being revealed by this light, I'm going to hide and resist this light so that I can continue in my sinfulness. I had a friend who used to uh, go street witnessing with us in seminary, and we'd go down the streets of Memphis. And, and I remember him on many occasions looking at someone and asking this question after he had explained the plan of salvation. He'd ask this question. Can I ask you, what sin is so sweet in your life that you would want to hold on to that you would be willing to miss heaven for? And that's the picture. What evil, what sin, what activity, what action in your life is, is so precious to you 
that you would be willing to miss an eternity in heaven for. So the picture is the light is revealed, but the light has to be received. So we see, as we look at this picture, we see Simeon. He's seeking the light. Lord, when are you coming? I'm walking in faith. I'm waiting in faith. Now he sees him, but then he begins to speak about the light. And notice as in verse 29 and following as he begins. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And as we look at this passage and we think about this moment in Simeon's life, I mean, his eyes have been opened to who Jesus is. He recognized his need for a savior and the world's need for a savior. And he says, Lord, you're letting me depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. What's he saying? He's saying, Lord Jesus, you are my salvation. You're my salvation. You're the only hope that I have. Lord, there's, there's, there's only one way that I know I can experience true salvation, forgiveness, and eternity in heaven. And that's through Jesus. And so, Jesus, thank you, praise you, Lord. My eyes have seen your salvation. And Jesus would say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Peter and John would preach in Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is our only way of salvation. But he's not only says, Jesus, you're my salvation. He says, Jesus, you're my satisfaction. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Lord, I've seen it all. I've looked around. I've looked at this world. But seeing Jesus brings me to the place where now I'm ready to step into eternity. Jesus is the one who satisfies. I see stuff. I see people. I see religion. I see all of these things. But Jesus, you're the one who's going to allow me to depart in peace. There's no other way I can find peace. There's no other way I can and no other person I can find satisfaction. Jesus, you're my salvation. Jesus, you're my satisfaction. Jesus, you are the light of the world. He says, you are a light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You know, tomorrow night is the night. About 8.30 tomorrow night. You know this, don't you? Tomorrow night is the great conjunction that Jupiter and Saturn are going to be really, really close to each other there by the moon. And, and it's going to be this bright. People are calling it the Christmas star. People are calling all of this stuff. And, and the, what I've read, the last time that this was clearly visible at night was probably about 1226 AD. Okay, so if you miss tomorrow night, you're not going to get a chance to see this again in your lifetime, okay? As Jupiter and Saturn uh, get really close to each other uh, so that, that when you see them, they will just be what they consider a, a dime's length apart as we are standing in our driveway. Very interesting. When we think about the rotation of the uh, of the earth and the planets and how they line up and how all of this works, God, how he intricately has designed his his galaxies upon galaxies. And tomorrow night's going to be something special. But I am afraid that probably too many people are going to be excited about a star that they're, that are, are what they're calling the Christmas star. It's two planets, Jupiter and Saturn. They're more excited about that than the true light of the world 
that came down. And you'll see tomorrow, they'll have it on the news, and they'll show you pictures, and I'm sure in, you know, next month's National Geographic, I'm assuming they still make National Geographic, I haven't seen it in forever. I know they have a TV channel, that's the only thing I know. Uh, Next month, in the magazines, and they'll have the pictures, and they'll be online, and you'll post it, and they'll, and they'll see the light, but miss the true light who came. And just as he came the first time, he's coming again. And we don't know when that last boy or girl is going to bend their knee open their heart, or that last student is going to cry out for forgiveness, or that last adult who's broken is going to say, Jesus, save me. But our Lord is coming again. And the light of the world, when he comes, that's the one, one, one thing you need to be ready for. As we think about his coming, let me ask you today, are you ready? Jesus is the light of the world. Have you allowed him to shine into your life and show you the darkness and the ugliness and the sinfulness in you so that you could experience the forgiveness and the new life that comes through him? If you haven't done that, then that's the most important decision that you have to make today. But if you do know that you've received Jesus, then I will tell you, this week might be your week. Your family may not have been together for months, but you've decided on Christmas we're getting together. And it might be this time that the Lord gives you the opportunity to say, yeah, I've seen the one who's the light of the world. Jesus has changed me. And you may just have a part of planting, watering, or harvesting one for the gospel. With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth in it. May we be men and women like Simeon, waiting for your second coming, anticipating that by walking in faith, walking with a sense of focus, walking in a righteous, just manner, and sharing you with those around us. God, move today. Move in our hearts. If there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, they don't know that they've been forgiven of sin, God, today, open their hearts. That's your work. And I pray through your spirit that you would bring your conviction and that you would change lives in the name of Jesus. In your name, amen.